This was a tough one for me, I have to admit. Okay. Um, I, I take it back. Okay. <laughs> All right. First Peter 3, 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external by the braiding of the hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden pers person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this word. And I ask that you be with Mark as he delivers your word to us. Open our ears to hear what you have to say to each of us in Jesus' name. Okay. You all may be seated. Thank you for coming out this morning. I'm very excited to, uh, to be here and have a chance to share with you guys um, from the word of God. I just want to take a minute before I start. Um, uh, Jamie Owens is in the back, and he does our sound. He kind of leads up the AV stuff. And today has been one of those days, right? There's been uh, just quite a few things that have happened. I just want to thank Jamie for how he leads and the, the way he serves in that ministry. Um, he's been a great blessing, and whenever anything happens, he's just got this nice, calm demeanor, and he just takes care of whatever the problem is. So uh, it's nice to have him back there. All right. If you love wealth greater than liberty, the tranquility of servitude greater than the animating contest for freedom, go home from us in peace. We seek not your counsel nor your arms. Samuel Adams. They who would give up an essential liberty for temporary security deserve neither liberty or security. Benjamin Franklin. There's a certain enthusiasm in liberty that makes human nature rise above itself in acts of bravery and heroism. Alexander Hamilton. And of course, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Uh, if you're born in the United States, liberty is something that you've heard about over and over again, uh, right in our Declaration of Independence, right from the beginning, it says that liberty is one of our unalienable rights. Um, this is, is what we should be given as people is liberty. Another quote from John Adams spoke about how much was sacrificed for liberty at that time and that he hopes that it is used in a great way in the future. Um, liberty is so important to us as Americans, but this morning and really the last couple weeks, what we've talked about is as Christians, more important than liberty is our willingness to come under subjection, to submit. When we began this sermon series, we looked at uh, who Peter's audience was. I don't know if you remember back a couple months when Pastor Kyle started and, and the introduction to the book, we learned that he was writing to people who were oppressed, 
writing to Christians who were spread out and were falling under oppression. Uh, the title of this series is Life After Loss. So sufficient to say, as Pastor Kyle has mentioned multiple times, these are difficult things that we're dealing with. The book of 1 Peter is, um, has a lot of hard stuff, and today is no different. Two weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, we talked about how uh, it, the verse began, be subject to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him. And last week in chapter 2, verse 18, we said, servants are to be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. And this week's passage in verse 1 starts out, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. See, as a reference right after that, it says that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. The idea of being one is really a reference to an unsaved person. So this passage, while there are many things that we can look at and take from it, whoever we are, the topic specifically written to people in oppression is a Christian wife with an unsaved husband or a non-Christian husband. Um, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preached and he began, uh, in, in the book of Matthew, he began saying things that were very subversive, right? You know, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. Blessed are the poor and the meek. These ideas that were very different than what was being told to the, uh, to the culture at the time and, and even today. Um, so Jesus' commands kind of seemed a little different from what they had been told before, but it's important to note that he doesn't take away what the law was in that sermon. Instead, he, he adds to it. He says, listen, you've been told not to murder, but I tell you, don't even be angry at your brother, right? He changed it from what the actions were to what the heart was. Well, Peter calls, or excuse me, Jesus wasn't looking to replace the existing structures. And that's what we've talked about the last couple of weeks in Peter. He talked about um, society, you know, under the government, um, emperors, things like that, or even as a master and slave relationship. He's saying, Look, I'm not looking to change that relationship, but I'm looking to change the heart behind it. And today, he's calling in the family relationship for the same thing. I'm not looking to change that relationship, but I'm looking to change how you act in it. And his call for submission in the areas of government, in the areas of work, and in the area of family, a representative of a desire to show the sacrificial love of Christ to those people that we are submitting to. See, these people are in difficult situations, and Peter says, if you submit and you trade your liberty, you will show that great love can change people. As I read these verses in preparation uh, for this sermon, there were a couple buzzwords that kind of popped out at me, and maybe they popped out at you too. Uh, things like, be subject to your own husbands. Um, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry. Uh, it says in verse um, 4, a gentle and quiet spirit for the wife. Um, 
and then in verse 7, it says, the woman as the weaker vessel. Yeah, it's a minefield, okay? <laughs> as I'm looking at this, I said, that Pastor Kyle, he took vacation this week so that I would have to preach from this, from, from this passage, right? Um, now, look, we see these words, and especially in our society today, they're, they're like hot button, right? They, our ears perk up, and it makes some people uncomfortable, and I totally understand why. You see, there's an irony in the fact that these terms that were given as tools for women specifically to deal with oppression have been used to oppress them even more. There was a call for a woman to, to, have, this, um, to have this attitude and so men took it and forced that attitude upon them, right? And that's kind of what, what we look at. Um, these tools that they've been given have been used to oppress them even more. But what we'll look at today is God is asking us to do something considerably more difficult than it appears on the surface. You see these words and you, and you think, oh, submit to my husband. I don't know about that. Well, when we, when we look at this, it's amazing what he's actually asking you to do. Just like in the past when Jesus came and he kind of had a subversive message, he really was looking for more than what, what was there before. Um, on a side note, as a younger person, before I was married, when I would see texts like this, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a good week. Pastor, you go, you know, take it out on those husbands and wives. I'm going to chill out over here. Um, I would encourage you in two ways to not do that this morning. Um, first of all, if you are an unmarried person who is seeking to someday be married, these are the roles that God calls out for us. So as you are dating people, as you are getting to know people, look and say, is this someone that I could submit to? Is this someone that I could love in an understanding way? get to know them, and honor them. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for someone who you will be able to have this God-honoring relationship with. And second, even if you're not in that position, no matter who you are, there is one, there's one specific command in this passage that doesn't go to every Christian period. You see, all these things that he talks about, uh, a gentle spirit and quiet, um, what our adorning is, uh, our conduct, uh, respectful and pure. These are all things that God calls Christians to, right? It's not only to wives, Christian wives of unsaved husbands. This is what we're all supposed to be doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if we want to have an impact, which is really what we're talking about today, if we want to have an impact on those around us, these are the attitudes that we will take on to ourselves. So join me today as we look at Peter's call for wives to submission in love, meekness in conduct, and fearless in heart, and while he calls the husbands to understand your wives and have strength and honor. So first we're going to start out with the wives. That's where he starts out in the passage, and so that's where I'm going to start out here. And the first thing that we're going to look at is uh, submission in love. 
The beginning for a call to a wife to submit starts all the way back in Genesis with Eve, right? We see that uh, Eve is cursed, and she's going to want the role of the husband, but that's not going to be what God has for her. So this, the stage is set very early on. Aside from that, in Ephesians 5.22, it references how the wife should submit to the husband, and the husband should love the wife as Christ loved the church. This is the standard for family that God has planned, okay? If you are in church for a while, if you have read, it's, it's not that odd. This terminology is not that odd. It's not taking, um, not taking you by surprise because we have seen over and over, this is how God has set up the family, that the woman would submit to the husband and the husband would lead her as Christ leads the church. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7.13, it goes even further and it says, look, if you're a Christian, or excuse me, if you're a husband and wife and you become a Christian and your husband is not a Christian, then you don't just get up and, and leave him. That's not what the call is. It says, you know, I would rather you stay. It doesn't excuse you from living out the commands in Scripture. Um, and the same thing goes the opposite way. If you're a husband who becomes a Christian and your wife doesn't convert, he's not saying for you to leave. He's saying, I want you to continue in this relationship if they will continue. And the reason why is because you have a chance to have an impact on their life. Um, we mentioned before that Christ came and changed many things. And in 1 Peter 3, Peter continues with this idea, wives be subject to your own husbands, even if some do not obey the word. The, that idea being they're not a Christian. So, so still be subject to them. Um, we mentioned before that Christ came and changed many things. And you might remember some other verses too. As we've looked the last few weeks here in Peter, we talked about government and work and family. Those are the three areas that he's calling to submission. Um, well, you might remember Christ saying some other things like, you're not of this world, right? Or no man can serve two masters. Or even that we're the bride of Christ as the church, right? So it's easy to see why when you hear those things from Christ, people might start to question, well, is, is everything different? Has everything changed? Do I really still have to, you know, be subject to, to the government or whatever? No, I'm, I'm subject to Jesus. He's the only one, right? Well, here in 1 Peter, he's saying that although those things are true, that you are the bride of Christ and that you can't serve two masters, he says, while we're on earth, we're still supposed to submit to these roles that he has laid out. They were set in place by God, we're told many times. So God set these in place, and we still are subject to these roles while we're here. See, there was an issue that was coming up. There was wives who were converting to Christianity when their husbands hadn't. Now, it wasn't just that they were not fulfilling some Hellenistic or Greek idea of what submission is and being subordinate. See, the problem was they were, they were kind of tearing apart the family. They were becoming Christians while these other men were not becoming Christians. They weren't changing. And this was leading to a split in their family. And the, the government and the, the culture at the time, which I agree with, felt like, you know, if families are starting to split, then it's not long before the state is going to split, right? It's not long before the society is going to fall apart. 
See, they were dividing a household, and a divided household would eventually lead to a divided state. There's a Greek historian, Plutarch, and he wrote a book not long after um, Peter wrote the, his letter here, and it was uh, Advice to Bride and Groom was the name of it. It says, a wife should not acquire her own friends, but should make her husband's friends her own. Well, if the husband has good friends, maybe. But um, The gods are the first and most significant friends. For this reason, it is proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. See, that was what the culture was telling them. If you're a wife... You're supposed to fall in line, and whatever gods the husband worships, that's your gods. That's yours. Um, the, the wives, though, were, were kind of fighting back against this. They were becoming Christians, and, and specifically the ones that Peter are writing to. Um, and you see, right or not, the converter, the person who is converting, was seen as the one who is causing trouble, as the one who's upsetting the apple cart, Right? Everything's going along fine, and then you find Jesus, and now things start changing. In light of this, Peter calls to wives to continue to submit to their husbands, even if they're not Christian. You see, as an unbeliever, the the husband is not ready to grant the freedom that a Christian husband would be ready to give. And for the wife to try to claim that freedom can be disastrous. And it says, which Pastor Kyle talked about this uh, in respect to to the government uh, a couple weeks ago, she must exercise her freedom in Christ precisely by being willing to submit to the restraints imposed by her marriage to an unbeliever. This is like one of those weird ideas that the best way to show freedom is by submitting. Well, that's kind of strange, right? But this is what we're told. We're told that you have the freedom to submit. You're doing it by choice. Um, It's important to to stop here and note something. Christian submission never requires us to disobey God. So if you are trying to submit to your husband and he's asking you to do something that is outside the realm of what God wants, then it's your responsibility to follow God. Okay? Okay? You need to be able, God is calling you to make that decision, to do what he wants versus what your husband wants. But there are a lot of areas that fall outside of that realm. And those are the areas that God is talking about here, to be subject to him in areas that do not go against what God wants. Another thing that I thought was important to note, uh, every resource that I read, I probably looked at, I don't know, 17, 20 different books uh, concerning this passage. I really wanted to make sure I got this right. (laughs) Um, But every single resource that I read talked about how it's important to say that the text says your own husband. It says be subject to your own husbands because many women have been taught to believe that women are to be subject and submit to men in general. Now, I was kind of like, man, it's strange that every book that I read made, a, made it a point to say this. Um, so I was talking to Tammy about it, and she was like, yeah, no, that makes sense. I've talked to a, a lot of women who feel that way. And I'm like, 
I don't know these women. No. <laughs> uh, but this is a prevalent attitude that has been um, furthered by people in the church. Uh, the Bible is not calling for that. All women are not supposed to be subject to all men. It's not a gender-based submission. It's a role-based submission. So your husband is where the subjection comes in. In the previous chapter, masters be subject, or slaves be subject to your masters. Before that, be sub subject to those in authority. It's not gender-based. It's role-based. Um, if you are acting as if you should be submitting to all men, that's, that's not okay. That's not right. And if you're acting as if all women should be submitting to you, that is not okay either. Uh, that's not what we're called to. God calls to submission in certain roles. And over and over again, especially in Galatians 3.28 and even later in this passage as well, we see that we're all equal in Christ. There's not a, a superiority of male versus female or female versus male. Um, so the wife is called to be subordinate to their husband in the areas of life that are not opposing to the Lord Jesus. And the reason why is that it will be a good example to him and it will keep their family strong. He'll be able to see Jesus Christ. You're not submitting because you're inferior. But why would you submit, right? There's obviously, there's the idea of um, obedience. You know, we're called to by God. Okay, obedience. But also he says, in verse 1, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Why? Why would you give up this liberty? Why would you submit? It's because you love them. It's because you care about them. If you walk into any church this morning in America you're going to come across certainly husbands that are there without their wives. But I feel like more often than not, you see women that are there without their husbands. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with women and it's burned in my head the um, heartbreak that they have. Uh, a Christian woman who has an unsaved husband, they feel like their heart is torn in two. Um, I thought of so many women that I've known and spoken with and, and prayed for them so often during the preparation for the sermon because it's, it breaks my heart. They feel as though um, they're trying to give their heart to their husband and they're trying to give their heart to God. And when those two people are kind of in the same direction, if your husband and God are in the same direction, it feels a lot easier to give your heart that way than it does if they're on opposing sides. You see, more often than not, if it's a saved wife with an unsaved husband, a non-Christian husband, they just love them and they just want them to be saved because they love them. Because they want them to know what it's like to know Jesus. 
And it can get tiring and exhausting. But they just love them. You see, if you want to make a maximum impact on the society that you live in, then you be a model submissive citizen. If you want to make an, a maximum impact on the place where you work, then you're a model submissive employee. And if you want to make a maximum impact on your husband, then you're a model submissive wife. It's difficult. But the good news is that Peter gives us a couple examples of how to have this impact that can lead to salvation. Um, verses, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 again. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. See, not only does he call us to, does he call the uh, wives to have submission, but he also calls us to have meekness in conduct. He says here that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. You're not going to talk him into believing in Jesus. That's not going to happen. You're not going to nag him into it. He doesn't say, post Bible verses all over the house and invite your pastor to come over every week to talk to him. Right? You, now, you might say, but you don't know our relationship. I can get him to do whatever I want. If I try hard enough, he'll be here in church with me every week. And that may be true. I don't know your relationship. But if it is, would it be because he loves Jesus? Would he be having this personal relationship? Look, I don't, I don't think so. What will change his mind, though? Well, it's going to be seeing how much you've changed, seeing how much you love him actively, and how much you care about those around you. See, the, the amazing thing is, this situation of a, a, a woman converting to Christianity and having a husband who is unsaved, on the outside it would look like it would kind of pull you apart, but what God is saying is it's supposed to draw you closer together. You have a mission field in your home right here. This is a difficult thing. I understand, believe me. Uh, in 1805, a missionary from Boston Missionary Society preached to the Indians of upstate New York. After his message, Chief, the, the chief of the tribe, Chief Red Jacket, told him, we will wait a while and see what effect your preaching has upon your own people. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less inclined to cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you've said. It's possible that your husband is taking this approach. It's possible that he's saying, okay, let me see. You, you, you became a Christian. All right, let's see. What, what does this mean? Let's see, does it, does it have any impact on you? Does it change you? Unspoken acting is more powerful than unperformed speaking. If you preach all the time, but your life hasn't changed, it's really not going to do anything, right? And it wouldn't for you if you were in the other spot. 
As we go on to verse 3, it says, Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear. Well, it's obvious in, in verse 3 here that he's not prohibiting these things, right? If he's prohibiting braiding of hair and gold jewelry, he's also prohibiting putting on clothes. So we know that's not what he's calling to. Um, he's saying here that this shouldn't be your adorning. This shouldn't be what stands out about you. This shouldn't be what makes you, you. Um, the word adorning uh, comes from the Greek for kyrios. And there's kind of a, a progression of the words, but basically it, it's similar to the word for cosmetic. So he's saying like your cosmetics, the, the way, you know, like kind of what stands out. Um, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing that we wear, if that's what is what makes you you, if that's what makes you stand out, you're not going to have the type of impact that you need to have. But rather, it should be the hidden person of your heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is, which in God's sight is very precious. Now you might say, Mark, I am just not a gentle and quiet person. That is not, <laughs> we had a hand raised for that one. Got an amen on that one. <laughs> this, is not my, this is not my thing. I am not a gentle and quiet person. Well, I get that, okay? And it might not be that you are just sitting by and not saying anything. I don't think that's what it's calling to necessarily. The best I can tell you is that there is a season for everything, right? See, for me, I'm kind of the opposite way. I'd much rather not say anything, not upset anything. Let's just go right along. No problems, right? But I've had to learn that there are times, you know, it's the famous example that people use, but Jesus flipped over the tables, right? He wasn't always quiet and gentle. There's times to speak out. So I understand that. But here, in this specific relationship, in a husband and wife relationship, we often don't have to learn to be hard and loud, right? <laughs> that's not the part that we have to work on. The being gentle and quiet, that's often the part that we have to work on, right? Um, Peter mentions respectful and pure conduct. These are things that will be noticed by your significant other. And it goes a long way to show that you care. You know, I've never been in this position, but I have to imagine if I was unsaved and my wife came home and said that she became a Christian, I'd probably be pretty jealous. And I know that that's not the right, the right reaction to have. I understand it. But if it were me, I would feel jealous. All of a sudden, you're, somebody's taking away my time with you. Someone's taking away your attention. And you're talking about how you love this other person so much. And I don't get it, and it's not me, right? That would be difficult. If you make a concerted effort to ensure that he doesn't feel this way, it can go a long way to showing how much you care. And you're fulfilling what this passage is talking about. So these two ideas that, these first two ideas that we talked about with submission and meekness, oftentimes these are labeled as feminine qualities. But that's just not true. Uh, as I said earlier, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount the meek and the gentle are considered blessed. These are not 
gender-based um, qualities, but rather this is what all Christians are supposed to do. We see Jesus presented as a gentle and quiet person. These are character traits that both Christian women and Christian men are supposed to have. Um, and the next one that we'll look at, as you see there, is fearless in heart. In verse 5, it says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That term Lord is um, kind of like Mr. or Sir in our uh, current uh, language. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I found it interesting that Peter took the time to, to talk about fear in this passage. And why would he mention that? Well, my belief is because this is a terrifying idea. To submit yourself to someone else and to someone else who really doesn't believe what you believe makes you very vulnerable. It's a difficult spot to be in. If you're being pure and meek, it's easy to be taken advantage of. But she's told to do it without fear of anything that is frightening. Well, this, this is frightening. I found this great picture, and I, I think if you go to the next slide, you'll be able to see it. Um, there's a statue that is uh, on Wall Street, and it's, the name of the statue is Fearless Girl. And she's there in front of the famous bull, and the bull is ready to charge. There's that girl with the superhero pose, right? Like, come on, just bring it, right? Uh, she's fearless, and that is a great representation, uh, great imagery in that situation. Um, it's difficult using art to be able to portray ideas, but that you look at that and it's like fearless, right? I can see it. It's funny to me because the fearlessness that Peter talks about um, oh, and just to kind of go along with that, I forgot to say this. This was put there about a year and a half ago um, when uh, international, to celebrate International Women's Day. And uh, it was great because it's in a neighborhood, Wall Street, that is uh, known for not being kind and uh, for oppressing women. Um, so they put this statue out there to show the fearless girl. Um, and, and I thought it was great, but what I find is interesting that Peter's example of being fearless is very different than what we see here, right? He's talking about being meek, submissive, and doing good. He says that's being fearless. Acting the way that God wants you to act, even when those around you are not, is fearless. And it's difficult. Standing firm in his word, even if your husband is trying to lead you in another way, is fearless, free from all fear. It's used along with doing good to point out the fact that the wife is to do the appropriate thing for her as a Christian in the marriage. Even though someone may try to use fear to compel her to do something else. And this is how Christian wives in this situation are paradigmatic. They're, they're a paradigm for the way that all Christians should live in a hostile cultural environment. See, that's why they're mentioned here. This is, what, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about oppression. He's talking about how to deal with these things, from the government to the workplace to the family. Peter calls for submission in hopes that others will see it and turn to Christ because it was his sacrificial submission 
that drew us to him. Now we can model that for others. In the next verse, verse 7, he starts talking to husbands. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now the wives are saying, I just got six verses. You just give him one? That's it? And husbands only get one? Well, why? It's because this book and this passage in particular are spoken to those who are being oppressed. Chances are, especially in this culture, but even in today's world, the husband doesn't really need to learn a lot about how to do when they're being oppressed. If I were to walk up here this morning and talk to you about all the ways I've been oppressed, um, I would hope that you would question me, right? That hasn't been my experience. But in this time, in this specific situation, there wasn't as much of a need to tell the husbands how to act when they're being oppressed. But what he does do is tell you how not to oppress your wife. Um, and this is what verse 7 calls us to do. Understand your wife. It says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Another way to say this would be, husbands, read the last six verses again. Understand what I'm asking your wife to do. Understand what submission means. And then treat her accordingly. She's vulnerable. I'm asking her to submit and to follow you. Be understanding. Get how difficult this must be. Now, in order to do this, you have to know your wife. You have to understand her. It seemed like this would be a given, right? But it isn't always that, that way. I read about a pastor, and he said this. Um, in my premarital counseling, I often gave the couple pads of paper and asked them to write down the three things each one thinks the other enjoys doing the most. Usually the prospective bride made her list immediately, and the man would sit and ponder. And usually the girl was right, but the man was wrong. What a beginning for a marriage. A Christian husband needs to know his wife's moods, feelings, needs, fears, and hopes. He needs to listen with his heart and share meaningful communication with her. And this, I love this, this sentence. It says, there must be in the home such a protective atmosphere of love and submission that the husband and wife can disagree and still be happy together. That's like a great ideal. Um, Tammy and I disagree all the time. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this, this idea that the husband knows his wife so much, understands her, that she'll feel comfortable submitting to him, right? She's being called to submit. That's what she has to do. So what does the husband have to do? Make the environment a place where submission is not dreaded or feared, but desirable. Um, I heard an analogy that made a lot of sense to me while I was studying it. It said the husband needs to be the thermostat, and the wife needs to be the thermometer, right? The husband sets, sets kind of the path, but the wife is the one that's telling him what the temperature is. She's the one that knows what's going on in the home. She's the one that is understanding of, of how things are going. And she says, she sends, uh, excuse me, she tells him what the, th the temperature is. 
See, in my house, this is easy. 58 at night, 62 in the day. I know my wife. That's what she wants the thermostat to be set at. Um, but we have to be willing to listen and learn. Because if not, then we're going to be butting heads. Living in an understanding way reminds me of the quote that you guys have heard over and over again from myself, Pastor Kyle, uh, from Tim Keller in his book on marriage. It says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. We have to know our wives and love them anyway. Because there's nothing better than that. Not only are we supposed to understand her, but we're also supposed to show her honor. Peter uses the term weaker vessel in verse 7. Now, there's a lot of discussion on what this means, but the prevailing wisdom is that it's a reference to physical weakness. It's a generalization, but generally, men are physically stronger than women. Now, could half the women in here beat me up? Yeah, probably, but I'm slow and doughy and I bruise easily. So um, generally, though, men are physically stronger than women. Uh, this fall, a woman posted a question on Twitter. It said, uh, she asked women specifically, what would you do if all men had a 9 p.m. curfew? I don't know if any of you guys saw this. It was kind of like a trending topic. Um, but I was like, wow, this is a weird question. What would you do if all men had a 9 p.m. curfew? And then the responses started coming in. I would jog alone at night. I would walk to my car without my keys through my fingers. You see, women are afraid of men in a lot of cases. And they have every right to be. I have a one-year-old in Sunday school this morning. And you can bet that I'm going to teach her how to take care of herself, right? They said that they have to make a plan regarding what route they will walk home from a night out. All these things that they think about. And when men were asked the same question, it was, I wouldn't do anything different. I don't even think about it. See, men exert their physical power over women in this way and oppress them for it. And how, how much worse is it behind closed doors when no one else is around? Peter is saying, treat your, or show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. He's calling for men to treat their women with honor and not consider them as prey. Just like true submission was a reflection of a choice to submit, true strength is a choice to not lord it over someone who is weaker than you. See, the command is clear. Don't treat her as less than. In fact, immediately after it, it says that you're heirs together with the grace of life. You're, you're on the same ground, heirs together. There's no difference. There's no preference of men over women. And the point is made clear after that where he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. If you treat women in this way, it's going to impact your communication to God. 
your ability to communicate with God. Your prayers will be hindered. And as men, we know this, right? Because whenever we're having issues with our wives, if we try to pray, man, the Holy Spirit is ready there with conviction. What are you doing? What's going on? Why are you treating her in this way? You see, if we want to have an effective prayer life, and not just personally, but together, then we're going to be treating our wives with honor. Romans 14 details a disagreement that was happening with Christians about whether or not um, they should abide by the Jewish laws considering food and um, celebrating holy days. There were people that were said, uh, you can't eat this. Uh, there were other people saying, of course you can eat this. And what does Paul say in response to that? He says, look, if somebody says that you, you shouldn't eat this, don't eat it for their sake. Don't eat it because you love them. Give up your liberty because that's how much you care about them. You should care about somebody else more than your own liberties. You see, we're supposed to submit, submit to the governmental, um, the governmental structures, the work structures, and the family structures because we care about the people that are around us. Because if we do this, there's a chance. There's a chance that they'll see Jesus. And that's more important than us. In Philippians 4, Paul talks about forgetting what is behind. I press on towards the mark. You know, it was interesting. I was listening to somebody preach this week, and they said, when you go to, a, um, when you go to like a counselor, they always want to talk about what happened in the past. Right? They always want to talk about what happened here and there. He says, but Paul says, uh, forgetting what's behind, I press forward. Maybe this morning you say, I have not done this. I have not been this wife. I have not been this husband. I've not been this Christian. That's okay. That's in the past. Forgetting what's behind, you can change now. You can do this now. You see, you can become... Even if you failed at the start, you can now become the type of wife who shows Jesus to her husband by submission, meekness, and fearlessness. And you can be the husband that understands his wife and shows her honor. Now, maybe you came this morning and you're like, I have no clue what you're talking about. All I know is a lot of the words you said are like crazy cult words, right? <laughs> this is things that the cults believe to keep people in check. Well, please know that the reason that we talk about this, the reason that we do any of this, is because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ lived on earth and he sacrificed his liberty for us. You see, he submitted to authority. The government came to the garden when he was with his friends and they came to grab him. One of his friends cut off the ear of one of the guards and Jesus healed him and said, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. I'm going with them. He healed the guy's ear. He didn't have to go with the guards, right? He had the power. He didn't have to do it, but he gave up that liberty. Why? Because he loved us. He knew he was going to die on the cross for our sins. And that's why he did it. He traded his liberty to show love and we can trade our liberty to pass that love along to others. 
so that they might see him and glorify him. Please join me in prayer.